Amen. Can you all hear me all right? Okay. <laughs> That's only funny like the first 150 times. Just kidding. <laughs> you know, I just want to share a thought with you. <laughs> first of all, um, and this asked me this morning, okay, what, what has God given you? And I said, don't know yet. But here, here's just like a thought that he put on my heart. So that's, that's the screen you see up there. If you ever see that the screens change, can you not hear me back there? If you ever see, is that better? All right. If you ever see that the screens change between Sunday morning and the podcast, <laughs> it's because by the time we're done, we know what it was about. And we have time to make them up and put them on the podcast. But uh, I want to share a thought with you, though, this morning, because it's important that we understand that we fight for each other. And what the Lord was showing me is that we think, in so many cases, that we're joining Deborah and fighting for Deborah. When in reality, what you may not realize is she's fighting for you. She's fighting for those who cannot fight for themselves. That's who we're fighting for in worship. You know, and sometimes the way the Lord does things doesn't make sense to us. You know, but yet, the religious spirit would tell you it should make sense to you. I remember growing up and, and the, the idea of any kind of what I would deem as chaos in a church is not of God. And, and I know most here probably grew up the same way I did. Where if, I mean, forget, forget tongues. I'm not even talking about tongues. I'm, I'm talking about emotion. I'm talking about passion Because, see, the control side of the religious spirit says we need to control the direction of that passion and what it looks like so it doesn't make people feel uncomfortable. Now, I'm telling you, I I know that's how I used to feel, and I would venture to say that's how most in this room used to feel. See, because God is not a God of chaos. The problem is, the things that are in us are. When we allow allow authorities in our lives to manifest, to do what they want to, to infiltrate our mind, and we do this, by the way, through sin, when we do that, what is that inside of us? It is chaos. It's not God, but it is manifest as chaos. So one thing I have learned is when you take a holy God through the power of his Holy Spirit and you put it in the same place with these authorities, even if they're held and their tongue is held, there is chaos. Right? We saw it last week. We've seen it many, many times. But understand that it is not the presence of that chaos that means the Holy Spirit is not present. In many ways, it's just the opposite. But then there's also manufactured chaos. Okay, there's manufactured chaos, which is what I grew up resisting. Well, let's whip up in this emotion into a frenzy where we are just feeling something. We don't know what it is. But we're feeling something, and that is better than what I'm feeling right now. See, manufactured is no better than it not being there at all. That's, that's again, on the flip side, but it's the religious spirit. 
See, the only thing that is not religious spirit is when it is 100% focused on worshiping Jesus Christ, the Father, Holy Spirit. That's the only way it's not the religious spirit. But you can't take a list of a hundred items over here and say, well, this is how you do it, because this is not the religious spirit. Then over here we have these hundred things. This is the, the religious spirit. So let's just focus on that. Do you know just that plan in and of itself is the religious spirit? Because God's saying to us, look, it's real simple. It's real simple. This relationship is real simple. You have two choices. Give me control or keep control yourself. That's all. It's real simple. So see, when there's warfare, and it's uncomfortable when you hear a scream of Jesus. And and by the way, I get it. I feel the same thing. There's, there's literally 50 years of my life that, that I grew up with this paradigm of, oh, okay, that's loud. Let's keep it down. Jesus knows who he is. Right? We don't have to scream. He can hear us. Don't tell that to people of Israel when they were taking Jericho. Because it was the shouts. It was the shouts of praise. Who led that? It was those who would praise. It was the musicians. Don't tell Jesus when Jesus absorbs the passion of those shouts. See, what... (laughs) Oh, God's doing a new thing. And I'm telling you, it's going to be uncomfortable. And I know... Much of what I'm saying is to those online, because I know we know this, we live it. But understand what God is doing is uncomfortable. How comfortable do you think Job was when he was sifted? When he was tested? When he came out as gold because he knew no matter what, no matter what was being told to him. By the way, do you, do you not think he was tempted to listen to his friends? Well, yeah, I guess that all makes sense. I guess maybe there's something I did wrong. Maybe in my sleep, because I, I sure don't remember it. But maybe, don't you think he was tempted to that place of not trusting His relationship with the Lord. By the way, if he didn't have a relationship with the Lord, he not only would have been tempted to that, he would have fallen to that. Because it is only in a relationship with the Lord that you can fall back and say, no, I know what's real. See, I know the reality of who God is and what he has done and revealed himself as to me. That's a reality nobody else knows in here for me. It's it's mine. It's mine alone. Yours is yours alone. Your relationship with the Lord, it's not shared with somebody else in terms of the authority of it. I can't say, well, John, he's going to have a relationship with the Lord, and I declare it in Jesus' name. Now, I can pray for that. And thank God he has that. But see, I as another person can't force that. By the way, neither can Jesus. That was the choice that he made before the foundation of the world. That we would all have this free will, this free choice. But see, we can fight for each other. And I'm telling you this here, church, because there's coming a day very soon where you're going to need to fight. Because there will be people among us that need it. That need you fighting for them. That need your willingness to look silly to the person next to you. Because, see, it's not silly. The walls of Jericho were big. They were powerful. They were strong. They didn't have these 
you know, these big battle tanks or whatever that could knock them down. Everything they had was the Lord. And he said, shout. So let's not be surprised when the Lord says, shout. Just shout. Because Jesus deserves it. And not just that he deserves it. But do you understand he's marching with you? He's marching. Do you think he's not yelling? Yeah. I think he's yelling his own name. The name above all names. Why? Because there's power in that name. There's power in the name. So yeah, we scream it. We shout it. We go to war with him. And for each other. And that unity, that unity is what drives the enemy to his knees. I've seen it. Many of you have seen it. It drives him to his knees. So, typical, today's Father's Day, and it's not a Father's Day message. (laughs) Sorry. I will say this, though, about Father's Day. First of all, Father's It is awesome when a father takes up his position as he should. And, and I suppose in that way, this message will be about us fathers. Because in this country, it saddens my heart. Not just fathers, but men in particular have been so torn apart and downgraded as to what they're supposed to be. And, and I get it because, you know, it's, it, it was a backlash of, of this movement that was holding women down. I mean, bottom line is nobody should be hold down, held down. Nobody. Nobody should be put down, women or men. It's, it's that we should love each other, be in unity together, lifting each other up, right? But I, I, will, I will claim one gripe that I have about Father's Day. For those of you that were watching the countdown, all those, all those questions, and, and I think I missed like 98% of them. But there was one that really surprised me, and I thought, wait a second, we could do better than that. That's like copycat. When it said, what is the official flower of Father's Day? Since when did it become roses? Isn't that for women? And I think that's fine. By the way, they're beautiful. Okay, but if you're going to get me a flower for, for Father's Day, I want it to be something cool. No, like, like I'll tell you my favorite flower, because it can also be used as a weapon. Birds of Paradise. You ever, you ever walk through a field of birds of paradise? I, I did. I, when, I, when I was a kid, I lived in California, and just as we're walking to school, which... Yeah, back then we actually walked to school. It wasn't four feet of snow because we were in California, but but we walked past this field, and, and this field was all of birds of paradise because they would sell them there or whatever. And if you walk through the field, you will come out cut up because those spikes are really, really sharp. So I'm thinking that would be a perfect flower for a Father's Day. It's like awesome, it's cool, and it's a weapon. Anyway, we can put in a petition, see if we can have that changed. But, yes, just don't use it against me, that's all. But uh, one thing the Lord told me this morning that he wants me to do, I was reading something in Charisma Magazine, and he had me print it out because I want to read it. But it is, I think, the first. There might have been one other thing, but... This is one of the first things that I have seen from an outside prophet that prophesies about the readying of the bride. I mean, what I've heard so much of, and certainly heard growing up and all that, is that, that things are just going to get so bad, and, and, and almost with the mentality that it's going to get so bad that Jesus finally feels so sorry for us that he comes and takes his church home in the rapture, and we don't have to deal with it anymore. What kind of a ready bride is that? It's kind of like, yeah, I, I married her because nobody else would. 
you know, I, I married her because, 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 you know, she didn't have any hope and, and, and she was just being beaten on and abused and, and she had this terrible life. So I married her to just pull her away from all that. Yeah, by the way, if you know a marriage like that, let me know how that went. Because it didn't go so well. Right? No, it's just the opposite. Jesus is going to prepare his bride, his ready bride, that is fully devoted to him. And we've talked about this. I don't need to go into that. But I, I was astounded when I read this. My mother sent this to me. See, I don't, I don't have to read Charisma magazine. My mom just figures out what I'll like and she just sends it to me. So much easier for me that way. She's not the only one. Other people do it as well. But, uh, but I want to read through this. It's not long, but it's really, really good. I, I want to, we'll probably stop along the way and I'll point some things out. But I want you to soak this into your mind. Because what I want to lay out this morning, very briefly, for those who have never seen a full picture of what is coming, of what the Lord's doing, it will help you to recognize why the battles are what they are. Okay? The Godhead, and this is by a, a, a prophet named Bert Farius. No clue where he is, but anyways. The Godhead has been converging the ages for several decades. We are crossing over into a brand new era. We are moving into an era of both great judgment and great glory. Cleansing and consecration. Repentance and restoration. It shall be bitter for those serving sin, but sweet to those serving righteousness. This convergence has been in the making for nearly several decades, but is now fully upon us. By the way, and and just to add in there, See, the, of, the recognition of the readying of the bride is literally the time of Revelation where it says, you need to be hot, cold, you choose. Because lukewarm will no longer be tolerated. Lukewarm I will spit from my mouth. It's not a choice anymore. We're to that place now. That's what it's talking about. Great, both great judgment and great glory. Cleansing and consecration, repentance, restoration. This new season will lead the church into a new era where she will move more efficiently, grasp, or where she will more efficiently grasp the end time. Once judgment, or judging ourselves, through repentance and cleansing run their course, the earth will be overwhelmed by the power and glory that shall be in manifestation throughout the glorious church. And by the way, that is Revelation 3.9. Read it. It said that the world will literally honor the church and will see the favor of God upon his bride. This, this is in the real, guys. This isn't after the bride's gone. This is here on earth, real time. Then the worst shall come after the readying of, this, of the bride. The worst shall come, but the true church will be gone. And that's the rapture. In Revelation 3, verse 9, it comes before verse 10, which verse 10 talks about the rapture. We have no grid for what the Lord will do through a glorious end-time church. The church has never faced and done what she is about to face and do. Many will be surprised. Hell shall be shaken. Multitudes shall awaken. God's majesty and holiness shall be revealed and stun the world in a time of gross darkness. The Lord has been preparing His church for such a time as this. And many will realize that they've not really known Him. And will awaken to righteousness. There will be a harvest of false converts. Meaning those who thought they were saved, but really were not. Let me repeat that. 
there will be a harvest of false converts. Meaning those who thought they were saved, but really were not. Also many prodigals shall return home. The awe of God shall be in the church and in the earth. People will fall on their face and tremble. The harvest will be reaped by a cleansed, consecrated, and flaming on fire church. The world is rapidly changing, and the frequency of awe-inspiring and fearful events is fast-moving. With all things culminating in the future rule and reign of Jesus Christ. The kingdom without end shall be more prominent and recognizable. Its government will increase in visibility and a heightened function through a very radical remnant. The king will present himself as he really is. And people shall, shall marvel. Let me stop there for one second because I want to explain something. See, at this point, my mind would go to, well, yeah, that's what's going to happen with the thousand-year reign of Christ. And that's what happens to the Jewish people because he promised it. And by the way, that's true. That is. It's absolutely going to happen with the Jewish people. But see, before that, it will be shown through the Gentiles the same exact thing. That might be a little harder to swallow, right? But I'm telling you the truth of it. We are in a Zechariah prophetic movement. If you want to know what I'm talking about, read the book of Zechariah and say, Lord, show me. Show me. Open my eyes and show me what that means. Because the reading of the bride is reading of the Gentile grace, period. It's not the promises of Israel. This group that says that the Gentiles replaced Israel are from hell. That idea is from the pit of hell. Because God made a promise to Israel, he will and always hold his promises. We do not replace, the church does not replace what he has promised Israel. However... We also know, according to Paul, that Israel will be made jealous. Israel will be made jealous and see the favor on the church. See, Israel's part of that Revelation 3.9. Part of that group that sees the favor of God on a group of people and recognizes who they are and who they serve. So see, the very things that God is promising Israel will come to the bride for the sake of making his people jealous. You know what? Before I read on, let me turn. I just want to read to you what will finally bring them about. In Matthew 23... Verse 37, beginning of verse 37, says this. And Jesus Jesus was just in Jerusalem. This was before his death. And he was just lamenting over Jerusalem. And he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing See your houses left to you desolate. For I tell you. Now, now, by the way, understand what he's talking about here. Okay, the, the temple was not destroyed at this point. In fact, he prophesied that. Some 40 years later is when it happened. But he said, for I tell you. And he's talking to Jerusalem, talking to Israel. For I tell you, you will not see me again until. Now this is the Messiah saying this. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
until you recognize who Jesus Christ is. Not that a Messiah is still coming, but that the Messiah came. And that Messiah is Jesus Christ. So, so understand that everything happening to the bride is not a replacement of what he's going to do with Israel. It is a showing of what Israel is supposed to have. Does that make sense? Let's go on. Because this readying of the bride, it will make Israel jealous. It will make them understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Let me just start back up here. The Lord has been preparing His church for such a time as this, and many will realize that they have not really known Him and will awaken to righteousness. There will be a harvest of false converts, meaning those who thought they were saved but really weren't. Also, many prodigals shall return home. The awe of God shall be in the church and in the earth. The awe of who He is and recognizing who He is. People will fall on their face and tremble. The harvest will be reaped by a cleansed, consecrated, and flaming on fire church. The world is rapidly changing, and the frequency of awe-inspiring and fearful events is fast moving, with all the things culminating in the future rule and reign of Christ. The kingdom without end shall be more prominent and recognizable. Its government will increase in visibility and a heightened function through a very radical remnant. The king will present himself as he really is. The people shall marvel. He's going to do with this with both the Gentiles and then after they ask for him, he will do it for Israel. We have entered the harvest of the end of the age. The greatest in gathering of souls is just beginning. The greatest move of God we've ever seen in our lifetime is upon us. The gross darkness that is upon the people will only make the light of God's kingdom appear brighter. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen, has risen upon you. For the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord shall rise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you. That's Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2. During the time of Israel's greatest apostasy was also the time when the greatest prophets arose and championed God's cause for a return to radical righteousness. God is calling many to herald the truth of the gospel with fresh fire. It is the day when the evangelist shall be in greater prominence and the laymen and women shall win many souls. The greatest days of church history are not in our past, but in our present and in our future. Amen. Believing this will activate you and move you into it. You must believe. We are crossing a bridge where all the moves and activity of God from past generations will converge. The Holy Spirit is retrofitting all past outpourings and various anointings and rolling them all into one and reactivating them for our times. We are entering into the glorious church era. We call it the readying of the bride. Which shall be far different than what the church has been known for today. Jesus will build his ecclesia that will shake the gates of hell. The true church has never been built by man. Understand that. The true church has never been built by man. You look at how it began in the church of Acts, and that was built by the Holy Spirit. Christ shall define his true church and expose the hybrid, empty from an empty form of showy, superficial Christianity. By the way, these are people that claim to be saved, and many are. Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you're saved, first of all. But just because you are saved doesn't mean that you have relationship and are on fire 
for Jesus Christ. What happens when you have a dry field? And, and what does that mean by a dry field needing the nourishment of water, right? What happens when you have a dry field and you set it on fire? It blazes, it catches. So does the very fire that God places in your heart for people around you. When you have this heart on fire for Him, people see it. That's the readying of the bride. The Holy Spirit is brooding over His people and moving them into a divine dissatisfaction. There is a hunger among the remnant for His real glory. Hope is rising and callings are being activated and reactivated. And many more will now voice their faith. Souls, souls, souls must be the cry of God's people. See, we have to have a desire for Him. But let me tell you, it begins with a passion for him. So I told you that we kind of lay out just just briefly how this works, what the Lord's told us so far in terms of this reading. First of all, the reading is a very personal thing. It's not that God takes a whole bunch of people and says, okay, let's get together and get ready. No, he begins working in heart after heart after heart. He works on relationship with him, showing who he is to each one of us individually. That's why, by the way, all the things in the Word of God start to present themselves. That's why we didn't all get the same gifting. Even though Paul said to go after certain ones more than others. But he gave to those people that needed that as part of a group, because they're to work together. So he's doing this all over the world. And, and I have to tell you, when, when we went down this past week, uh, we went down to the ranch down in northern Virginia. It was really an amazing time. It really was. I mean, first of all, the ranch is really exactly, I think, what God wants to do in Nigeria. It, 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 the way it works... Everything that, that really pours into God's creation and utilizing God's creation instead of trying to manufacture it with man's way and chemicals and all that stuff. I mean, it really was, was amazing. It was awesome. But that's not why God had us go down there. I mean, he's going to use that. He's going to develop that relationship. But there was a girl that we met. Her name's Sherry. She is why we went down there. And it was at dinner that we got to meet her. She is the daughter-in-law of the owner there. And we're sitting at dinner with her. And, I mean, all of them, 25 or whatever that live on the ranch, we're all just sitting there because they had us, you know, eat dinner with them. And we're talking with her, and it, it comes up about her going to some of these places. And she had just gotten back from Morocco, right? Okay, let me ask in here, how many of, of you women, how many would go to Morocco to smuggle Bibles all by yourself? Yeah, I, I don't see any hands. Okay. It, it caught my attention when she said this. And we, we began talking with her. And, and you, can, you can ask Michael, you could ask Corey. And, and she starts using verbiage that... Okay, that's really familiar because that's, that's ignition, but it's like nobody else speaks that way. We do because that's what we were taught. That Yeah, we're weird. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> but she starts saying all these things, and we're just blown away thinking, okay, God has taken this, this girl and taught her. Now, that was not taught because of the church, because I was at it. Okay, so tell me about your church. Well, she is basically where we were in a church. You know, she was raised Baptist, and she's, I mean, her church actually thinks she's total nut job. Amen. Amen. Yeah. But, uh, and, and I, won't, I won't say any more about that, but, but she, is, she is by herself in this situation. 
And it was about five years ago or so that the Lord began teaching her. Sound familiar, right? The Lord began teaching her himself. Sound familiar, right? She said everything, she, she was concerned that that might bother me. So she said everything he's taught me is, is found in the Word of God and provable in the Word of God. I said, yeah, I know. I know. It's awesome. So we, we began having this conversation back and forth of the passion of relationship with Jesus Christ. And, of course, we're thinking, man, this is awesome. This is so encouraging that we, that we get to meet somebody totally separate from us that God is doing the same thing in, this remnant that he's doing this in. Wow, Lord, there are more out there. And we get to meet him every now Now and then, the Lord just introduces us to some. But you know what? She'd never met any. She'd never met any. She was so encouraged by meeting us. She said, said, you know, of course, we're thinking, you know, we we have this house church. There's there's 50 to 60 of us in there. and, 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 of course, we're thinking in our mind, that's such a small thing. And her response was, There's 60 of you? She said, that is awesome. She said, I'm by myself. She said, but but I'm so encouraged because I know what God is doing. See, these people are all over the world. They're all over the world. This remnant is all over the world. And God is going to begin bringing them together. Thank you, the birds are back. (laughs) Is there a perch up there or something? No, I mean right up at the transom where they stick their eye and just watch me. But see, the Lord is bringing his remnant together. He is. I, I get, I get uh, contacts almost every day from, from people in Kenya, from people in India, all over the world. That, that God is doing the very same things in. But see, when he calls you, he also gives you a responsibility. And that's where it's tough. Because with responsibility comes a choice. And that's why we find ourselves at a point where each individual has to choose to follow God or not. To be on fire or not. Because, see, there's no lukewarm anymore. There's no middle of the road anymore. And we have seen people that have chosen not to go in the way of relationship with him, and saved people, by the way. And it wasn't that they just kept doing their lives lukewarm. God didn't allow that. They've fallen away. They've fallen away. It didn't mean they lost their salvation, but they had become cold. And the enemy has racked their lives. Why? Because God wants his remnant hot. His bride is to become hot, on fire, and passionate for him. I want you to turn. Let me see. Where do you want me to go, Lord? Let's... um, Let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter 15. You know what? Before we go there, let's go to Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. I just want to read this because this sets the stage for the choice that I was just talking about. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, this is Paul writing to Timothy, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. He's talking to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready all the time, in other words. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. Ouch. I added the ouch. And teaching. For the time is coming. 
Paul was telling Peter then. For the time is coming when people, people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's a tough word right there. It's a tough word because you can look at anything as wandering off. You can make a case for that. You know, if we're talking to some of the people that we know, they say, well, yeah, see, you're falling off into myths because, you know, you guys speak in tongues now. You, you believe in prophecy. You believe that, that God actually speaks to you now. When, when he was done speaking... He was done speaking. The canon is complete. He was done speaking. First of all, if you believe that, you're foolish. If you believe that, you're blind. If you believe that, you're deaf. You have been deceived if you believe that. Because, see, we serve a living God. And if all he said was limited to these 66 books, then you have a God that cannot have relationship with you because he's not allowed then to personalize it to you, to speak to you, to have you speak back to him. But see, in reality, that's exactly what he has done. Because in all the things that he says, understand it will never disagree with the word of God. It will never disagree with those 66 books. More so than that, it will agree. It will always fall in line with these 66 books. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same God. But... Understand that when you control this religious thought process, instead of allowing your heart to be in relationship with the Lord, what happens then is you start to accumulate things that make you feel comfortable. You accumulate, you know, I listen to this preacher because he... I really like what he says. It goes along with what the Lord... But, but I really like it. I, I identify have you ever picked out a preacher to listen to that you knew was correct that made you feel bad? That made you feel convicted? If you haven't, then I encourage you to check out some other pastors, some other preachers. Though, because those who are preaching the Word of God, they are going to get in your face. The truth of it is that the Holy Spirit is going to get in your face. And He's going to say, look, the reality of our relationship is that there has to be purity. There has to be purity, otherwise we can't have the relationship that would make you ready. You know, we say, okay, wait a second, now you're getting on the purity thing. You're going all legalistic on me. Yeah, if it were the religious spirit, yes. Because you can make a list of things not to do in your life and you can adhere to those things and it not do a thing to your heart. But it's relationship with Jesus Christ. When you draw close to Him and you fall in love with Him and you converse back and forth with Him and you, you take Him at His word and you say, Holy Spirit, make these pages come alive so that I can understand what you want. When you do that, I'm telling you, it will develop a purity in your life. It won't even be something that, that you're consciously going after. Because all you're going after is Him. You're consciously going after Him. And in order to do that, you pray, God, take down these barriers. Whatever it is for me to hear your voice. If, you, if you've never heard His voice and you're hungry for His voice, I encourage you, ask Him to take down the barriers that cause you not to hear. And immediately... 
what he'll start showing you is, well, there's this part of your life. There's this piece in your life. It can't be there if we're going to have relationship together. You know, many of those things are obvious. You know, we're not stupid. You know, but some of them aren't. Some of them aren't obvious. David cried out, show me, Lord, the things I don't know. Because the things I know I lay at your feet, forgive me. But the things I don't know, show me so I can also repent of those and lay them at your feet. By the way, some of those are generational. We've talked about that before, but more times than not, it's things we don't recognize here. That little nuance that we give authority to that, well, you know, I I just really kind of like them. Now, I don't want to bust on anything specific, but there were things difficult for me to give up. In fact, I didn't give them up. (laughs) They were so difficult. But do you know that as I built relationship with the Lord, they weren't even a thought. I had no desire. I had no desire. Why? Because Jesus wasn't there. I won't say who they are because I don't want to bust on anyone in particular, but there was this band I, I listened to growing up. My family would know who it is. And, and I mean, they're flat out awesome. They really are. And I used to sit and I used to soak in their music and, and just think about them and, and where it would take my mind and what it would do. And, and it wasn't, didn't take it in a bad place or anything. Their, their music was actually very clean. But it was the type of thing that, that was also very earthy, if you will. I loved it. Loved it. All the way up, I mean, you can ask Alexis. She knows who I'm talking about. But when I started to fall in love with Jesus and started to want to be in his presence, see, it, it didn't become a conscious choice like, okay, okay, that CD, i got to get rid of that, and, and then, boom, he could be here. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. I, I, I don't know. If, I think I may have gotten rid of their CDs now, but I, I may have them downstairs. I don't, I don't even know. I don't use CDs anymore. So it wasn't like that. Let me go burn these so righteousness. Burn them all righteous. It wasn't like that. It was like when I'm engulfed in that music, Jesus wasn't there. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. Why do I want to go somewhere where he's not? He's not my part-time friend. He's somebody who's with me and I desire to be with me and to be my best friend all the time. So then in that case, I just stopped. I don't even remember the last time I've listened to him. I just stopped. Now, did it mean that everything in my life changed? Yeah, most things. Most things. But it was my choice. Because Jesus wasn't there. I wanted to be where Jesus was. And then, then the Lord starts teaching us that there are strongholds that are built when we go places where Jesus is not. So understand, in, in saying this, I'm not saying, okay, now go back home, go through all your CDs, And throw out anything that's bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying actually just the opposite of that. Saying go home, be with Jesus. Recognize that when you pour into him, recognize where he is and where he is not. Is he there in that video game that you play? Is he there in that music that you listen to? Is he there in those movies that we watch? Boy, that whole thing's changed in my life too. Not because, okay, bad, get rid of it, burn it, boom. Now, if that were the case, I'd have to get rid of the TV. No, it was Jesus wasn't there. And I recognized that because when I went there, 
where'd he go? He wasn't with me. I started to feel just the opposite of what I feel like when I'm in his presence. So when we do that, when we build relationship with him, that's putting the cart before the horse. If you make him your desire, these other things, they won't even be a thought process. That, that group that I was talking about, and I'm telling you, I loved them. Telling you, I loved them so much. Well, I won't even say that, but I loved them. And it wasn't this choice of getting rid of them. Even looking back on it right now, I can't even remember when I stopped listening to them. It just wasn't where Jesus was. So I stopped. He filled me with something I liked better. Because I was after him. That's what he wants. You know, it, it turned to Second Chronicles chapter 15, and we're going to end with this. Second Chronicles chapter 15, this is King Asa, and, and when he came... When he came into the kingship, he, he, he gave his life to the Lord. He didn't end his life that way, sadly. But I want to read something that it says here. Uh, verse, start verse 1. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. This is the word of God. So I'm telling you, when you seek him, you will find him. You will find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Do not apply that to salvation. Because when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, as a guarantee for our inheritance. We have our ticket to heaven. What he's talking about is friendship. What he's talking about is relationship. If, if I have, let's say you and I are best friends, and I stop that, and I have no more desire to be with you, are you going to follow along beside me and just keep yanking on my side and like 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 this, I don't know, little puppy? No, you're not. Why do you think Jesus will? See, Jesus said that he will draw you to himself. All those that the Father draws to him. Right? We're drawn to him in salvation. But understand, relationship is your step. He says, if you take a step toward me, I will step toward you. Relationship is something that's hand in hand. It's not pushed by one side or the other. It's pushed by both. Let's go down to verse 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart, and this is all of Israel, and with all of their soul, but that whosoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, and with shouting, and with trumpets, and with horns. All Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. I want to, I want to read that out of the Amplified, verse uh, 15. And all Judah rejoiced at the, oath, at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him, yearning for him. You ever yearn for something? Where you will literally die if you can't have it. See, that's the inference of what this meant, to yearn for them with their whole desire, yearning with everything that they have. What does that sound like? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your soul, all your mind, 
everything that you are. Yearn for Him. Yearn for relationship with Him. And it says, and He was found by them. See, He'll meet you right there. He'll walk with you right there. It doesn't matter your age. Doesn't, you're never too old. You're never too young. Young people here, He will walk with you if you reach out your hand and you say, build relationship with me. He will. He promised it. And He does not go back on His promises. And He was found by them and the Lord gave them rest all around. See, I know we talk about relationship all the time. But guys, that's the only thing. That's the only thing. Seek Him in His kingdom. Seek relationship with Him because that's the only way you could be in His kingdom. You can't just snap your fingers and be in His kingdom. You can only be there with relationship with Him. Seek Him in that. He'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of everything else. All the worries that you have for school, for mortgage, for you know, going to Nigeria, all the things that you need to do or that you think you need to do. You don't have to worry. You just have to put out your hand and say, I'll walk with you. Take me where you want me to go. I'll walk with you. Take my feet, plant them on solid earth, wherever you want them to be. And, and I know the problems are real. I understand the problems are real. I understand what we go through in life is real. But I could tell you that so much of it is manufactured because we're not walking with him and saying, Lord, Lord, show me why I stumble. Show me why I can't get rid of this problem or that problem. Show me, Lord, because I want my heart purified before you. See, don't you think he's faithful? If you ask him, he'll tell you. If you ask him, he'll show you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. And it's a time in history where lukewarm is no longer going to be tolerated. See, we're coming to a moment. There are some things that are about to happen. Where point after point after point after point, churches, specifically their pastors, will be told about this line drawn in the sand. It's not going to be some big announcement where all the churches in the world, okay, you have until July 1st to decide. It's not how it works, because God is a personal God. He will start drawing this line in the sand to his churches. And I'm telling you, he's starting right here in America. He's already started. Already I have seen churches that were dismantled by him. Because the leadership of that church chose to control instead of giving him control. You see it all over. But you're going to see it very defined. Very defined. Because it's time. It's time for his remnant to no longer be the remnant. But to grow. To grow because relationship to him is the most important. I mean, I think about this all the time. Lord has, has given me many different titles, but I think the book that he wants me to write first is called What's in It for Me? And it's just this picture of God and the, the book cover he gave me. You, all you could see, what you can't see the upper part, but he's, he's sitting on his throne and you could see the lower part and his hands out are like this. What's in it for me? He sacrificed his son. He gave everything he had to us. Why? So we could not be burned in hell. So, so we could just get away from the responsibility of our actions. 
No. He did it because he wants so much more than that. See, he wants relationship with us. He wants what was taken away from him in the Garden of Eden because of our choice. He wants that. That's why he created us. He didn't just, okay, plan B, now that Adam screwed up, plan B. No. He's always a plan A God. And his plan is relationship with his people that choose him. That choose him. That's why it's about relationship. What's in it for him? Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for the love that you show us. We thank you, God, that even how you set all of this up was all about relationship with you. It wasn't about how to manage our own lives and how to manage our time with you. No, Lord, you desire it to where you manage that. Where all we do is seek you. All we do is want to go to places where you are. And, and sometimes, God, that could be the darkest place. It's not about light or darkness. It's about where you want us to step. When you're taking our feet and you're planting our feet where you want them to be, you're there. Even, that, even if that is in the darkest places of this world, like Morocco, like Syria, like Iran, like Egypt, or Turkey, you take our feet and you hold our hands. And when we're with you, that's, and in your will, that's the safest place to be. No matter what our external circumstances would tell us. It's the safest place we could be. We love you, Lord. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to say one quick thing before we... Um end and close and give a couple of announcements. Um, at the very beginning, you know, the Lord showed me a, a picture of where there can be a mistaken understanding of the line in the sand that we've talked about often and that he preached on and mentioned this morning. The line in the sand is not just a one-time choice, and sometimes we see it as this point of, like he said, where we're all kind of gathered and there's this one date and we're, this is our choice and this is going to be our line. It isn't that. It's really more of a sifting to show us a, um, a reality of really our paradigm of what line in the sand that we're, we're in. And I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm seeing that people are being tested in, in that way. See, because let's use, for example, the worship and the shout and the passion that is shown during worship. If you are shouting with all your might in a worship situation and you're overcome with that, it's easy to get caught up in the emotion of a, a group corporately to worship because this is the atmosphere of worship that is you know, fueled by many carrying the Spirit of God. But if that same overcoming passion isn't taken with you in your life when it's just you by yourself in different situations, then it's almost like the, the choice to engage is kind of a by proxy. You know, when a person's on fire, if Hannah's on fire, I'm not going to catch the fire from Hannah just because I stand next to her, just because I copy words that come out of her mouth or I sing like her. I'm going to catch the fire because of my own heart choices. And so the desire to engage and discern whether you're getting caught up in emotion or whether it's really that you have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. That's going to show outside of our corporate gatherings, in your real life decisions, all by yourself when you are standing alone in a situation. And that's a good test of where you are. 
Some of you are being tested in ways that um, maybe are new. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, at church and when I'm with my Christian friends, I, I feel this way and I feel strong. And, but then when I'm put in this environment, man, I just stumble and I, I, don't, I can't think clearly. God's going to continue to allow that to show you that that is the line. The line is, who am I going to be with you, Lord, no matter what circumstance I'm in? Sometimes we're in a supportive environment, but sometimes we're not. And remember, when we stand before the Lord, what our Christian brothers and sisters have poured into our lives is is an incredible effect. But we stand before the Lord alone. If I can never say that, well, I really wanted to, God, but my husband. I really wanted to, God, but, you know, my parents. That's not going to fly. We are given our own choice. And so I think that is the key. Like Greg said, it's not, he is a person. This line in the sand is for the bride, but God is a personal God in that this corporate shift in a readiness does come individually. And that's just what struck me so much when, when I was thinking about that because we do have to be careful. Ask God, am I just engaged and on fire because I'm kind of in a, um, I'm kind of in a, a group where everybody's just into it. It's like a kid that gets involved in a particular circle of friends at school. And they just kind of are the way they are that year because of the circle of friends that they're in. And then when summer hits and they don't see their friends very often, they become a different person. Because they're not with their friends. So where's the reality of who they really are? We are influenced. We do have to work together. We do have to love and support and fight for one another. But that is never a substitute for the purity of our relationship with God by ourselves. So that's, so when we're balancing the two, we're to have fellowship. Because see, some people swing the pendulum the other way and are like, yeah, I don't need anybody. I just need the Lord. I like to soak by myself. You know, this relationship thing, it's really taxing, a lot of drama. I don't want it. I'm just going to deal with my own Christian life. Be careful. You have to have both. One cannot substitute the other on both sides. But that is the line. That is the line, is the strength within ourselves. So I just wanted to mention that such a, an, important, um, an important point. And um, those, those scriptures, I encourage you to read the, the Second Chronicles uh, about King Asa and that whole, that whole story. It's, it's, in a great, it's a great story. Um, we are going to be mentioning about creation.